KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. Public health has been front and center the last few years during the COVID-19 pandemic, but despite its importance, it still doesn't get the respect it deserves, and funding is a consistent problem. The nonprofit, nonpartisan health policy advocacy organization Trust for America's Health is out with its annual report, The Impact of Chronic Underfunding on America's Public Health System. We wanted to dig into this report, which looks at trends, risks, makes recommendations, and for this conversation, we caught up with Rhea Farberman. She is the Director of Strategic Communications and Policy Research at Trust for America's Health. So before we kind of dig into this report, can you just kind of give me kind of an overall, how would you kind of classify the state of public health right now in the U.S.? Well, in terms of funding, we are grossly underfunded. And we really, due to that underfunding, have a public health system that is just unable to meet the nation's basic health security needs. This was a problem prior to COVID. This is not just something that COVID dropped in our laps, correct? Correct. This is a problem that was decades in the making. We've experienced decades of uh, public health funding going down when the threats to public health were increasing. Infectious disease outbreaks is the latest example, but we have a chronic disease explosion in our country. We also have uh, the health impacts of climate change. So we have, there are many threats out there. The population is also growing, but funding for public health and prevention is going down. So let's talk a little bit about this report. Uh, Kind of, first of all, before we dig into results and ideas, how did it, how was it put together? What went into it? Well, we uh, have done this report for over two decades, and what we do is we track public health funding both at the federal level and at the state level. Much of the data comes from the federal government. The CDC is the primary driver of public health funding uh, in this uh, out to states, uh, but states also fund public health programs. And we are looking at a number of public health programs and whether they are going up or down. So when we talk about underfunding. Uh, Can you give me some context, like numbers wise, in a perfect world, where we should be and and where we where we are? Sure. Well, two 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 facts, if you will. Um, Funding for the primary emergency preparedness program that is a CDC administered and managed program, that funding has gone down by nearly 50 percent when we adjust for inflation over the last two decades. So that's a startling fact. And the the impact of COVID on our country and really the tragedy of COVID in our country shows how, first of all, important it is to be prepared for a public health emergency and what can happen when you have a public health system that has been hollowed out by years of underfunding. Second number that I want to share with you is that our recommendation is that we need billion a year in infrastructure investment to be able to rebuild the foundational capacities of a public health system. And those capacities involve um, a data system so you can track disease and know where you need your resources. It's laboratory capacity and it's the public health workforce itself, which is today much smaller than it was a decade ago and needs to be rebuilt. One of the things about public health that has to be incredibly frustrating is it is something no one pays attention to 
when it's working well, because the whole idea is you're eliminating threats, you're tamping down problems, and everybody just kind of takes for granted that that's how it's going to be. And then something like COVID comes around and all of a sudden everybody's screaming, where's the money? Why haven't you taken care of this when they've neglected it for years? Do we get the feeling that COVID opened eyes of policymakers and to the importance of this has to be something that is addressed on a consistent basis and not just when the house is on fire? Well, you're exactly right in your description of the of the, the status and the problem, um, the state of affairs. Um, I, I hope that COVID has opened eyes and is a lesson learned for the country. Um, certainly a million lives lost, now over a million lives lost, is a incredible tragedy. Um, so yeah, we do have to break ourselves of the habit of only paying attention to public health and investing in public health during an emergency. We need to invest in public health in a routine way, a sustained way, year in and year out, so we can be prepared for the next emergency. And, you know, COVID is the most striking example, but let's just look at what's happening right now. We still have COVID. It's still with us. And we're concerned about surges in the coming in the fall, the possibility of surges coming in the fall and winter. So that funding needs to continue. But we also now have monkeypox and we have uh, an unprecedented heat wave across the country. Those are public health issues. Um, so it's not just COVID. COVID is the latest example, but we need to be prepared for a, a spectrum of hazards and we need to be prepared. We need to invest today so we're better prepared tomorrow. You kind of talked in you know, broad ideas of some things. Can you drill down on a couple of things that, you know, if I were to give you the keys to the castle and say, here's money, where do you want to put it? What's what's kind of one, two, three where we desperately need an infusion of funding to to set things right? A couple things. I would say that rebuilding our public health data system in this country is important. Early in COVID, we were somewhat handicapped by a lack of data. During a disease outbreak, it's so critical to understand who is most at risk, where is the outbreak growing, so where do we need to put resources? And without a data system that can quickly collect data, and data systems that are interoperable, so data systems in a healthcare environment can speak to data systems in a public health environment in one state to another state, up to the federal government, et cetera. That's critical. We don't have that right now. Our, our public health data system is very antiquated, so we need to, to modernize that system. That's probably priority number one. The public health workforce is also much smaller than it needs to be. Colleagues at the De Beaumont Foundation did a study last year and found that the public health workforce needs to grow by 80% to be able to meet basic public health capacity needs in communities, 80%. So we need to grow the public health workforce and we need to make it more diverse. Last thing I would mention would be um, having enough money to put proven disease prevention programs to work in communities. In very many cases, we know what works to prevent disease. Let's take diabetes and obesity. We have an obesity crisis in this country. Over 40% of American adults have obesity, and we know how to prevent it. Um, but we don't have enough funding to put those programs to work in every state. The CDC has a strong obesity prevention program but only funding to be able to put those to work in 16 states. 
we need funding so we can put those programs in all 50 states. What are some ways, and obviously what you just talked about would be part of it, but the we've, in addition to funding problems, we've just got these wide sweats of, of health inequities in different communities, like what's available. Are there some specific things that would be recommended to try to bridge that gap, to try to get everybody, you know, back to even par? Right. Um, health inequities are a very serious problem in this country, and the impact of COVID really illuminated how how serious it is. COVID was much more serious in terms of infection rates and uh, severity of illness and, and even deaths in particular communities, communities of color, um, low-income communities, and amongst older adults. Uh, very often, those communities don't have the same resources to be healthy, don't have the same opportunities to be healthy. Um, we call this the social determinants of health. These are non-medical factors that have a large impact on your health. For instance, do you have access to safe housing? Can your family afford nutritious meals? Do you have access to health care? All those things are going to impact your health and impact your community's ability to be resilient in the face of a public health emergency. So we need to invest in anti-poverty programs in affordable housing programs, in job training programs, in schools. So everyone has an opportunity to be healthy, um, and that would make a community stronger and more resilient to, to be able to deal with whatever public health emergency comes down the pike. We need to take a break on KYW News Radio In-Depth. We will have more with Rhea Farberman right after this. And we are back continuing our conversation on KYW News Radio in-depth with Rhea Farberman of Trust for America's Health. You talked about uh, how short-staffed the public health across the country is. And I'm curious, there's obviously the funding aspect, but through COVID, we've just kind of gone through this awful where we see public health people targeted because they're trying mm -hmm. to help people or believing in science. And mm -hmm. I'm... I, obviously drove a lot of people out and it might have also had a lot of people that were thinking about it going, Hey, you know what? Maybe that's not for me. Is there only so much money can do on the personnel standpoint? And what do you do to try to make up for some of the losses that we've seen because people, like I said, were targeted for doing their job? Yeah, it, it's a great question. And, and you're right that the public health workforce has been under siege of the last two, two and a half years, not only because of just the volume of the work and uh, how hard it was to deal with the tragedy, but because they were criticized for doing their jobs and trying to follow the science. Um, I'd say a couple of things. Um, we need to continue to educate the public about public health, about its value, and about science and the fact that Public health guidance is, is rooted in science. Um, it will be updated and, and modified over time as we learn more about a disease outbreak, and that's why it changes over time. But that's a good thing, because as you learn more about a disease outbreak, you want to modify how you're responding to it. That makes sense. Um, in terms of rebuilding the public health workforce, let's do all we can to build respect uh, and appreciation for the public health workforce. They do important work and they, it's a hard job at times. We also need to make sure that the salaries are competitive um, and that the, there's enough funding to have enough personnel so people can do their jobs correctly. When we talk about funding, how, 
it's obviously important to have the money. But is it almost just as important to have the money be consistent and not have like, you know, I'm sure in a lot of these COVID relief bills, you know, giant sums of money are are pumped into public health because everybody's paying attention. But then attention wanes. All of a sudden, somebody can score political points by taking money away. Yada, yada, yada. I don't have to explain to you. You know, how much would just knowing what you're going to get in public health circles just allow the job to be done better because there wouldn't be that constant, you know, well, this we can do this now, but it might be taken away and, and stuff like that. How important would consistent funding be in addition to just having the money in itself? Yeah, very important. Uh, you make a very good point. And it's a difference between one time uh, problem specific funding, which is what we had with COVID and sustained, flexible um, predictable funding where people can actually plan and make investments over time. Um, you're right that we had trillions of dollars that were funneled to the states to deal with COVID. And by the way, if we had invested in prevention, that number could have been much lower. Uh, but those COVID dollars were one-time dollars. They were short-term dollars. They had to be spent on COVID and they either um, might be taken back if they can't be spent or they're just going to run out. Um, what we need, as you suggest, is sustained funding. So annual budget funding that allows a local public health director to ha- make hires, make sure that they can keep those hires, to invest in a data system, to invest in a new laboratory. Uh, you can't do that with temporary dollars. You can only do that with permanent annual funding. And I would guess. Kind of going along with that, we talked about the problems with personnel, but I, I'm looking at this more from a kind of a county, you know, the, the smaller, if you're able to hire people and keep people, those people go into the community, they can develop trust and people will know, hey, you know, Joe's coming to speak to our group. I know Joe is my kids go to school with him. I would think it just makes it a lot easier to foster trust than just having, you know, when somebody just parachutes in, starts asking questions that nobody knows. I mean, I might be out on a, on a tangent here, but it, it would seem that's part of that infrastructure to consistency and have people be able to develop in areas. You're right. It's another really good point. Um, one of the, one of the um, hidden silver linings of the COVID response is that public health officials did need to go out and uh, build relationships with grassroots leaders and um, solicit help from grassroots leaders to try to overcome some of the distrust and misinformation that was circulating around COVID. Now we need to solidify those relationships and keep them in place because there'll be a, a, another time that we need help from the grassroots and grassroots leaders to communicate a public health need to a community particularly in uh, communities where possibly English is a second language or there's heightened distrust of government for whatever reason. Um, so you're right. Those it, Being able to, as a public health director, to have people on your staff who are whose primary work task is community outreach and trust building and communications with the community are so important. And it's it's not just in an emergency. It's routine information sharing. Like, Childhood vaccinations and back-to-school vaccinations, those are happening now. 
Um, but we need to get information to parents, information that they trust, information that is accessible to them, information in, in their own language. And very often, if the information can be funneled through a trusted entity in the community, that might be a, a church or a temple or a mosque, or it might be a, a community health center, or it might be uh, through the school. But working through and partnering with the local community is very important. At the beginning of COVID, we saw a lot of problems, public health, a lot of it federal government and, you know, the, the problems from there. With monkey, we, you mentioned monkeypox, and it seems to me as a layman, we're seeing, we've seen a lot of problems not to scale because this is not, the outbreak is not what we've seen in COVID. I got, my question is just like, how frustrating is it that we can't get the people that make these decisions to understand that this is why this isn't working as it's supposed to? And are we starting to see policymakers kind of get it because we kind of keep going through this? Well, I hope so. I hope policymakers will understand the need to invest in public health before you need it. Because if you try to invest when the building's on fire, it's too late. You need to invest in public health so systems can be built before they're needed. Now, in terms of monkeypox, I I do want to emphasize that monkeypox is very different Mm -hmm. than COVID. Um, We know much more about how monkeypox is spread. We know how to prevent it. We have a vaccine. We have antivirals for treatment. So monkeypox is not COVID. That being said, we need to take monkeypox seriously. And we need to do a lot of public education so people understand who's at risk and how the disease is spread. Um, and we need to make sure that testing, vaccination, and treatment is readily available. Right now, I think it's important for people to understand that the vast majority of cases of monkeypox are, are occurring in men who have sex with men. Um, that's important for that community to recognize and be aware of. But it's also important for everyone to recognize that anyone can be infected with monkeypox and they need to understand how it's spread and how they can protect themselves. And my final question, is there anything we're really getting right at this point when it comes to funding and paying attention to? We've spent a lot of time talking about the warts, but is there anything we can kind of point to like, hey, this is how this is supposed to work. And if we could fund other things to the level we do this, you would see a a big difference. Is there any kind of shining lights that you point to that that we're doing this really well? Well, I think the COVID vaccine process, the fact that the COVID vaccines were discovered and manufactured and delivered uh, within, what, about a year, uh, was a great success and, and saved untold numbers of lives. Um, now we have to make sure that everyone avails themselves of the of the vaccination and, and continue to push back against misinformation. The vaccine is safe and it's effective. Um, so that's that's a highlight, if you will. Um, you know, I think that the best outcome we can hope for um, to um, as a result of COVID and the, the tragedies of COVID is that we don't let it happen again. Uh, that we now understand the importance of uh, improve federal coordination, public health and public health response, emergency response coordination between federal agencies, the federal government and states. And we need to understand the importance of public health communications and public education, pushing back against misinformation. Um, and then, as I've as we've talked about funding, sustained and consistent funding. 
that's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.